Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo, the crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. I first met Colleen Woolley at the RPA, the Retired Police Association. As a TV producer, I'd speak to Colleen when I was researching Victoria Police members. The former senior sergeant served as a woman auxiliary in the South Australian Police Force, worked as a member in the New South Wales Police Force and represented police women in Victoria as the sole police association delegate. Colleen was the first female RPA secretary and a founding committee member of the past and present Women Police Association of Victoria. Colleen's a Justice of the Peace, been awarded an Order of Australia and is even an author. Hi Colleen and welcome to the Crime Couch. Thanks Rochelle, a pleasure to be here. Sounds like you had several uncles in the job. Is that why you joined? I'm not really sure. Um, I grew up in fire stations, but they weren't accepting women as firemen back then, and four of my five uncles were coppers, so I guess there was something in the blood. That was your key motivation. Was there any other sort of motivation as to why you decided to become a policewoman? No, I, I really don't know. I remember when I was leaving school and I was actually expelled. Um, <laughs> I, I actually went to the women police in South Australia and said, if I run away from home, um, will that stop me being a policewoman? And they said, no, as long as you behave yourself, that's absolutely fine. And that's what I did. So where the idea came from, I have no idea. But I think I was a bit of a rebel back then. Isn't it interesting? A number of members end up joining the job when they could have gone the other way. Do you think you could have gone the other way? God, no. I would have got a hiding and a half if I'd ever done that. No. How did you work in the South Australian Police Force, Colleen? I was what they call a woman police auxiliary, which is really just admin staff. And I was mark- deliberately marking time to join the police force I was waiting to be the right age. I went up to Sydney on holidays and I saw police women up there in uniform directing traffic and and doing all sorts of police stuff which they didn't do in South Australia. Back then in the late 60s they were still wearing the flowery hats and the the gloves and all that sort of thing and I thought oh I think I'll join New South Wales so I went up and joined the New South Wales Police Force after I think three and a half years in South Australia and then I had three years in New South Wales and yeah ended up here. When did you start working in Victoria Police? Well this is something that gives away my age 1976 and just to give you an idea all the kids in my squad called me mum because I was older than the average. Yeah, I was old when I joined here in 76. Hmm. So that's interesting. So you've got a perspective of, you know, South Australian police, New South Wales police and Victoria police. Mm. How do you think we stood up in terms of women and how they were treated in the job in those days? Well, I can only speak 
for the times that I was involved, um, they didn't have women in general duties in New South Wales. And of course, South Australia, the women were all in plain clothes and primarily doing the social work. There was some CI work for the women, but not a lot. I think given, given even in 1976 when I graduated, police women didn't carry guns, batons or handcuffs. Um, we relied on our skirts and our voices and our ability to communicate to deal with offenders and, and members of the public. So each one was different and each one was relevant to their time, I think. It's interesting you say that because I remember just speaking to a former policewoman recently and she actually noted that it was the very fact that's how they managed to deal with the crims is that they became quiet when they realised it was a female stepping out of the car. Is that right? Absolutely. And even when I worked at Preston, I was on the on the divvy van doing night shift and we'd gone to recover some stolen property. My partner was out in the front of the house and I was going down the side of the house. Next thing I see this figure coming towards me with a cricket bat raised, ready to cleave my skull in two. There wasn't enough time to do anything but yell at him. And I think as soon as he heard the female voice, he stopped in his tracks. So we used our femininity, but no, not our femininity, our femaleness to our advantage. How limited do you think it was for policing for women when you joined? It was fairly limited. It was women police divisions. Um... 1972, I think, Colonel Sir Eric St Johnson had done a report or round about that time in the, in the early 70s and things were starting to move for women, not in the uh, direction of general duties but the mounted branch, uh, traffic alcohol section, D24, a few to the CIB and it wasn't until the Equal Opportunity Act in 1978 that women actually came into their own and were treated equally, in inverted commas, as they had been back in 1924. They were, on, they were in, reintegrated into the same seniority list, which the men had split and then moaned about because women were getting promotion quicker than them. They refused to have women tell them what to do. In the 50s, they split the seniority list so that when women got promoted, they could only give orders to women, whereas the men were still allowed to give orders to men and women. And then the realisation struck that this was a hell of an advantage to the women. And it didn't end till 78. Colleen, you represented police women in a number of organisations in your working career and in retirement. Why? Because I could. The need was there and I just stepped up. I don't think there was anything conscious about it. I guess a number of the younger police women had come to me from time to time with problems and I seemed to be able to solve them. So it just sort of evolved. One of the things that strikes me, though, after speaking to a number of former police women, is that there was a real sense of advocacy and there was a sense that 
you had to really push as a female police member and you had to stand up for yourself. Is that how you felt? Personally, actually, yes. Yes, I, th- I think so. It changed as time went on and police... There's a lovely quote from a mayor in Ottawa in Canada and she said, women have to work twice as hard, get three times the result to be considered half as good as men. She then added, fortunately, this was easy. And she was dead right. And actually, I put that in the second book. And because I'd used the facilities in at headquarters, the historic unit, to, to research some stuff, I had to show them the bits that I'd added. And a male superintendent said, that has to come out. She has to delete that. And he was asked why, and he said, because it made the men look stupid. And my reaction was, if the cap fits, it stays. And it did, and it's still in the second edition. And I also say, as another fellow author, choose the battles that you're going to engage in when you're writing a manuscript, because there's always that battle, isn't there? Oh, God, yes. Some of the stuff that I wrote, some men were quite thing about it, but you know, history is history and you've got to tell the truth. Otherwise, it's, well, not worth telling. Colleen, in 2017, as we've just been briefly discussing, you wrote Arresting Women, which celebrates 100 years of women in Victoria Police. I noticed you're in your second edition now. How difficult was that gear change from cop to an author? Actually, the first edition came out in 1997, And I wrote that then because there was no history of women police. When when I first joined here in Victoria, I happened to go somewhere and they said, I'll go out and talk about being policemen. I said, oh, look, I'll, I'll talk about who our first one was, you know, give a bit of background. I said, who was your first woman? They said, no, don't know. I said, well, when did policewomen join here? And they said, haven't got a clue. Who were you asking? Men. Police men. And police men who should have known because they were working in the historic unit. And, well, not the, it was a section that they should have known. Anyway, mm-hmm. I had met Lillian May Armfield, who was Australia's first policewoman. I've got a copy of her book that she signed for me. And, you know, it, her history was just amazing. I thought, well, they've got to have something like this here. And they didn't. So back in 1978 or so, I started researching. And I was researching as a hobby. And when I was boarded out in 1992, I became secretary of the RPA. But in my spare time, I was, I, I was researching. And seven of the eight first 30 policewomen were still alive at that stage. I interviewed seven of the eight who were still alive from the first 30. And they were truly amazing. We had some hilarious things where they were recalling events. And, yeah, it just rolled on. So 1997 came along and I'd finished writing, got to the end. And then I went to Maggie McVeigh's funeral and a policewoman there said to me, you realise it's the 100th anniversary of women in the Victoria Police this year? would you consider printing another lot of your book? Because, of course, the first edition had sold out years before. 
And I thought, wow, what an opportunity, because I knew there were things that needed updating. There were women who had gone to so many areas that it was worth redoing. So, yeah, the second edition came out in 2017. And it was launched by the highest-ranking policewoman in Victoria at the time, Wendy Steendham, Deputy Commissioner, on the same day that the women had started in 1917, almost to the hour that they had first set foot in police headquarters, and I got goosebumps. And I still get goosebumps talking about that. It was amazing. Congratulations. It's a, it's a huge... Until you write a book, people don't understand the amount of work that's involved and the research. So congratulations. Was there anything that you discovered in your research, Colleen, that surprised you about police women? What surprised me about the police women were, was that the ones, especially from the 50s and 60s, for them, it was more almost a vocation, not just a job. Very few of them married because, of course, they weren't allowed to anyway. But their bravery, their senses of humour, they were wicked. They were really wicked. They were just amazing women, you know, and I was privileged to interview quite a few of them. And I'm glad that I interviewed them because they're all gone now. And that history, you know, that these, I'd call it tears in the fabric of our history as each one of them goes. And they can't be mended because they're gone. But I've got their voices on tape talking about conditions for them way back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, etc. It's a real privilege to listen to those women's stories. And I know I felt exactly the same when I interviewed Lil Irwin last year. And you know that we're only here on the earth for a certain period of time. And then when those people pass, all those stories, all those memories, all those histories go with them. Absolutely. And if if people like you and I didn't record them, I think our society, our community, Australia, would be that much poorer for not having access to that. One of the things I learned in doing a little bit of research for this interview, Colleen, was that that policewomen weren't permitted to marry. Why was that? Who knows? (laughs) I mean, when you go back even further, the men had to get permission to marry and the prospective bride had to be interviewed. So, you know, the men went through that. But the women weren't allowed to be married because if if they had a husband to look after, they wouldn't be able to do that properly, you know. And there was one policewoman in 19... 44 or so, Gwendolyn Mudford, she joined. While she was in the academy, she did undercover work in a huge drug bust. And it was written up in papers all over the country, Western Australia, everywhere. And she graduated first in her squad. She got what then was the silver baton um, because she beat the men. And then on her record sheet, it's written that she had all the promise of being an excellent policewoman until she decided to get married. And she had to leave the job. And thereafter, silver batons were not awarded to policewomen, even if they beat the men by 20 or 30 points in the exams, because they might go and get married. Such a sin. Any other policewomen stories that have stayed with you? 
Yes, one one that I I tell a lot. Um, Nina Harriet Janet Knott joined in 1932. She worked with her sister at the Royal Children's Hospital in Admin, and there was an advertisement in the paper about being police. They wanted police women, and she her sister said, you know, and why don't you apply? And she said, no, I don't want the police. Anyway, she did. And subsequently, she's a very tall woman. And subsequently, she was decoy for a rapist. And this rapist was particularly nasty. He'd advertise in the paper for virtually what was a, a housemaid. He would meet them at the railway station, take them away from the railway station, rape them. He was always armed with razor blades. He was a very, very nasty man. Anyway, she was delegated after quite a few of these. He was serial by then, not that they called them serial rapists back then, but she was delegated to be the decoy. That's the word. And so they had men, policemen working around the railway station and, you know, as porters and passengers and you name it. And she went along to to answer his ad and the signal that she was to give, now you bear in mind this is the 1930s, the signal she was to give to all the men around the place that, yes, this was your man, was for her to drop a glove. Now, we couldn't do that these days. And back then, of course, there was no such thing as personal radios or anything like that. So for her then, and apparently he he fought really hard and was um, was a a great deal of trouble to the to the men but yeah she was responsible for him so that that in the 1930s i think takes a, a remarkable degree of bravery extraordinary story who was victoria police's first policewoman funny you should mention that i was just thinking madge connor she she was amazing i you know the game you play if you could have any 10 people living or dead to come to dinner madge is first on my list she had eight officially recorded variations of her name, five different dates of birth, bore two, three or four children, depending on what you read. She produced a fraudulent marriage certificate in order to maintain her job with the Victoria Police, and she was responsible for getting equal pay for police women decades ahead of women in any other occupation. Madge even went so far, I've actually got her personal diary, Madge actually went so far as to have a tooth pulled in the line of duty. They were after unregistered dentists. So she may have needed the tooth pulled and, oh, well, I'll get it done. Sixpence, I think it cost, or one and six. And so she she went that far. She and her daughter, her 18-year-old daughter, were actually working undercover for Victoria Police a year or two before they ever appointed policewomen officially. And they would go to the sly groggers, the fortune tellers, the backyard abortionists, you name it. They went and gathered evidence and um, the daughter was too young. When, when they wanted women, they preferred salvationists or widows because they were allowed to know about the P word and the V word and things like that. Thank you.
Colleen, what would you regard as your greatest accomplishment when you're working in the job? I think one thing that comes to mind is the Heidelberg rapes. I started investigating that. I'd only been graduated a couple of months, still not allowed to work without supervision, even though I'd been a policewoman in New South Wales. Had some girls come into the station one night and uh, complain of being raped. And there was one lass there and I got chatting with her and when I finished taking her statement, the other lass said, oh, I've been raped too. We ended up interviewing 83 complainants and witnesses. We arrested and charged 15 blokes with 225 offences, one of which was so horrible that we relied on a 400-year-old common law offence that he had committed acts of such gross and obscene nature as to cause horror to diverse of Her Majesty's subject, and he was convicted of that. The really nasty part about that was that the Rape Act hadn't come in at that stage, so the victims didn't have the protections. The prosecutors wanted to hire the Melbourne Town Hall to run the case, it was that big, but they ended up fragmenting them. But at one stage, one of the offenders changed his plea to guilty halfway through and he said, I didn't realise that I had treated the girls like so many, quote, lumps of meat, unquote. So getting those convictions for those girls, I consider one of my really good things. In the end, none of us could take it anymore. Some of the girls had to drop out, their teeth started falling out, you know, awful effect it had on them. Quite a few of them stayed in touch with me over the years. And when I was secretary of the Retired Police Association, I had this, took a call, as you used to call me, look, I'm trying to contact a copper and it'll be, he, he, put me on the straight and narrow or he stopped me committing suicide and I just want to thank him blah blah anyway this girl rang one day and said look I was a victim of crime and I really really want to talk to the policewoman who handled it and I said yeah who's that and she said Colleen Woolley I said well you're talking to her and there was just dead silence anyway we arranged to meet and when I saw her she just fell into my arms and sobbed and she said that she's been living in fear. And this is years later, years, 20 years later. She'd been living in fear. And I said, what are you afraid of? And she said, I might see one of them. And that was enough to have her in fear of her life. So we achieved something with that, but not, not as much as we could have. And isn't it extraordinary that trauma continues... So how's retirement, Colleen? What retirement? <laughs> I've been a JP for 20 years, I, 24 years actually. I was secretary of the RPA, 3,000 members for 11 years and I was also treasurer and editor, etc. Became a JP in 1999. I was involved in a branch of philately which is called Markopoli and I wrote the books that were considered the Bible for them worldwide. I, Excuse me, what does that mean? What does what? What's that phrase? Philatomy. Macophily. No. Philately is stamps. 
Markopoli is the postmarks that mark the stamps, cancel the stamps. And mm. there are pictorial and commemorative postmarks, which are fantastic. I'll show you some later. So retirement, it sounds like you're not very retired. Are there any more books in the wings? I Yes. Well, I would love to. It's whether or not I'm going to get time. I've actually been involved in putting the history of Victoria's justices, honorary justices uh, of the peace, which the governor wrote a forward for. That was a lot of fun uh, and crossed over into the, the policing area, of course. But I, I have been a JP for 24 years. I absolutely love being a JP. COVID had one advantage in that it brought in remote witnessing. So that now is law. It was so successful, it's it's written into law and I'm the Victorian coordinator. So we have people around the world. The other day I had two in Switzerland, one in Germany. I had a bloke in Abu Dhabi one day signing an affidavit for divorce. His wife was also online, or soon to be ex-wife, was online in Nha Trang City in Vietnam. And at the time I was on holidays in Dalesford. So it's it's... An amazing service, and I've talked to people in almost every country now. Colleen, finally, what's next for you? Finish what I'm wanting to do, which is I would love to do an e-book of arresting women, and then all those photos can be in colour, and and updated even more, because really I had to put the second edition together fairly quickly And I missed a number of remarkable women who really deserve to be recognised for the history, their own history that they've created. So it sounds like e-book and maybe version three. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Well, Colleen, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege and finally lovely to meet you You after so many years. Thanks for sitting with me today on The Crime Camp. You're more than welcome, Rochelle. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Catch.